This is an Area Code podcast. You're listening to Table of Malcontents, where Aaron Armstrong, Dave Schrader, and Scarlett Hildebeidel talk about the books they love and a few they really don't to help you be a better reader. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Table of Malcontents. I'm Aaron, and with me, as always, is Dave. And with us in spirit is Scarlett, but she's on a plane, so... She she's on a plane reading our guest's book, so I feel like she she's really with us. It's a different way of being in tune, but yeah, uh, that's our best way of putting it. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So so yeah, so we have uh, Jared Wilson with us today. Jared, how you doing? I'm doing very very well. It's a Friday. I'm super relaxed. The semester is winding down mm-hmm. at uh, Midwestern. I'm looking forward to the holidays. And I'm doing great, man. I'm super mellow right now. That's yeah, good. Know, yeah, you are mellow. I know you look very comfortable <laughs> just sitting there. Yeah, you know it's it's this is good. It this was good. good this morning. I uh, I I recorded three episodes of my podcast, uh, one of my podcasts anyway, and um, it's just a it's just a laid back Friday. Uh, did that. Got a little lunch. Came home home to uh, join you guys and just looking into the weekend. And it's all right. Everything's real smooth and good right now. Nice. I like it. Jared, when, when you're at Midwestern, <laughs> which is all the time, do you just like have conversations like acting like with the wall as if it's Spurgeon talking to you? Like, how does that go? Um, no, I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> I, don't know. Just, um, I don't know why. I just thought of that. But I thought like, I wonder if they're like, you're walking around the Spurgeon library and you yeah. just start, you start hearing the ghost we're, of Spurgeon. No, I mean, we're all, we're all pretty sober and um <laughs> and normal so lucid <laughs> that, that doesn't really happen at least okay. i've never seen it happen yeah. does anyone but, take one of the cutouts of spurgeon and just hide behind it and pretend they're speaking as spurgeon yeah now that's happened before it's been it's been a few years i do recall i haven't seen the cutout in a, in a while but there was a time uh, when i was working in comms where it it hung out in one office and you would just find it randomly you'd come in and it would be in your chair or they'd stick it you know in in the window in the Spurgeon library or something like that I was waiting for somebody to do the um do you remember in the Goonies where mouth cuts the the mouth through that painting and puts his tongue through (laughs) and and, uh, ask Mikey to come give him a kiss give me a kiss (laughs) I'm waiting for somebody to do that with Spurgeon but so far people are, are far more respectful than I would be if I had a knife and the cutout in my hands (laughs) <laughs> maybe this is what we need to do when uh for the church can meet again in person yeah do, yeah, do, you, get, do you get any like weird super spurgeon fans that come in and do weird things i don't i don't even, don't don't make that weird i just <laughs> just curious um i do not i'm sure the library sees its its fair share because they do you know they do give tours and there are people who just pop in. So they do pop in tours uh, quite a bit. The, you know, the Spurgeon Library has, um, you know, viewable hours, I guess. I, I, I'm not sure what they are, but during the week there, they are quote unquote open. So people can come in and just kind of browse around and poke around. And every now and again, when a group shows up, they'll give a tour. So I'm sure there's been, you know, probably nothing super weird. I wouldn't think Spurgeon fans can be geeky and dorky maybe but probably not 
creepy. <laughs> I, I wouldn't anticipate a creepy Spurgeon fan just by nature of the of the object of the fandom. Um, I don't think he attracts creeps too much, but uh, I mean, you never know what can you happen. never know for sure. And we live in a broken world, Aaron. So I'm sure <laughs> that's true. <laughs> some fallen soul out there uh, is a fan of Spurgeon and just happens to be a major league creep. But um, oh. I, I'd be shocked. If yeah, that happened poking the their tongue through a cutout and well, acting like it's a aside from myself <laughs> yes, aside from me probably nothing else creepy is happening <laughs> that's important yeah uh, it's too easy too easy oh so funny so you've been in kansas city how long now at the edmund western yeah i just started uh earlier this year my sixth year so i've completed oh. five and it'll be six, I think, in early March. Yeah, February, March. So I'm, I guess I'm a little more than halfway through uh, a sixth year. And um, yeah, it's it, it's been great. We're really loving it. Congratulations. Because you're from the Northeast originally, correct? No, I'm actually from Texas, but I, I, oh, okay. I did move here. I yeah, I moved here from New England. So I was that's in good. Vermont six years. I think that's when um, I kind of knew you first. Okay. Got yeah, it. yeah. I, I grew up in Texas. We actually did 12 years in, in Nashville. My wife worked for Lifeway um for a long time i didn't and, know that okay yeah yeah and then um after 12 years in nashville we moved to vermont six years there right. then to kansas city okay all right so it. so six years in kansas city do you feel like you are closer to acclimated to the midwest or is it still there are new and different things that you are finding there no i think i'm acclimating pretty well um if only because there's a big kind of middle-aged dad culture here <laughs> nice <laughs> the general personality of the midwest multi-generational both genders the general personality is middle-aged dad <laughs> kind of for everybody <laughs> and man i'm a middle-aged dad so i fit in i fit in really well um you know i mean we've got you know your hipsters and and everything else but uh yeah, I, I, I feel like I fit in pretty well, which I did not anticipate because I didn't, you know, I don't have any background or, or history in the Midwest. So I, I was learning the culture and, and still am, but it, 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 it's not as steep a learning curve as, for instance, New England. What, uh, what do you miss about New England? Oh, man, so much. Um, I, I still to this day, I've never felt at home any place more than I did there. Everything from the climate to the temperament of the people. Um, you know, there were, you know, some hardships specifically in, in our ministry and, and, and relationally, but just in terms of the environment and the culture, I, I loved, um, uh, you know, as tragic as it is, uh, just, in, you know, spiritually, the irreligiosity of it, I loved the clarity of that, uh, to come from the Bible Belt to a place where people knew they didn't believe what you believed, you know, they weren't convinced that they already did, <laughs> which is what I encountered in Houston and in Nashville. Um, and to some extent here, but more so in Houston and Nashville. In all your time living in Vermont, how did that shape uh, a lot of your writing and style? Yeah, you know, I think in a lot of ways, some people would expect the the kind of, you know, idealistic or idyllic New England village, rural life, you know, you're in, you're indoors quite a bit. Um, and there's lots of moments for solitude, but it's such a beautiful place as well. And so for me, it, it just felt really, uh, ins you know, inspiring the, um, the environment, you know, kind of sparked a lot of creativity for me. There was a, you know, the church I pastored was on 
um, you know, on the, the quintessential New England town green, uh, you know, small town, no gas station, no stoplight, four-way stop, you know, cemetery across the street, general store across the street, red, you know, uh, red schoolhouse up the hill. And there was this park that I used to walk to and um, it's called Mineral Springs Park. And there was this, you know, little brook that would come through and the, even the grass is different in, in, in Vermont. It's a softer kind of grass than, you know, it's not, it's, it's not hard or, or sharp. It's, it's real soft and mossy. And uh, the, the trees, you know, around, and, and I would do my sermon prep there and sometimes some writing. So I'd have, uh, they had these stone kind of, you know, picnic benches. And I always picture this is the, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the altar where Aslan was, was sacrificed maybe, <laughs> or something like that. These, these huge stone, like picnic table things. And I set up my laptop and my Bible and my coffee and, and just right there, just any moment you feel like, you know, Tumnus will come around the corner with his, you know, arm full of packages. And um, it was great. Yeah. For, uh, for all the reasons you might expect it, it, it was a place that was very conducive uh, to creativity and was kind of a writer's dream in that regard. I can imagine. My mom uh, side of the family is all from Plymouth Notch in there in Vermont. And okay. you, know, you say Keechee? Is that how you say it? Yeah, Queechee. Uh, Queechee, Queechee. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah where yeah. the gorge I mean, is. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I mean, I haven't been there since I was a kid, but it's a beautiful area, no it doubt. It is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you, you're, you're describing this like experience in New England where it's, uh, Nice and beautiful, and you've got the C.S. Lewis thing going on. I think just down the road, Stephen King is writing about somebody getting murdered, and here you are, <laughs> okay, having this deep spiritual experience uh, with yeah. the Lord. <laughs> well, it's both, though, too, isn't it? Because you know that's the um, you know American history begins there, mm -hmm. uh, and you have kind of the old you know the old legends, the ghost stories, and um, it's not in New England, but you know like Ichabod Crane and some yeah. of that stuff. You know that's upstate New York, but uh, a similar region, similar environments. Um, and so you can see kind of creepy stuff happening, the Salem witch trial, you know, I mean, so there's, is kind of a, a shadow hanging over New England as well. I think he's just tapped into more of the darkness and the rest of us will tap more into the light, I guess. I love it. I love it. All right. All right. We got to talk about Echo Island since we're in the, uh, the, uh, mystery zone. All right. So everyone knows I texted Aaron and Scarlett and I'm like, we can't talk about this book. It's, uh, it's too much it's, of a spoiler. It's very difficult. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We can talk about like, the first two chapters, kind of. That, <laughs> that's ex that's exactly it. All right. Well, why don't you share the premise? Because I'm at risk of saying the wrong thing. Uh, and, and and Jared, just so that you know, by by saying the wrong thing, he he will give it away. Just like oh. how he gave away the fact that we were buying a house before we were ready to talk about it on the social medias. So, uh, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I was spoiler really alert. I was happy real for estate. You. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually thought about, I'll, I'll share the premise just a second, but I've actually thought about doing a podcast or just a video of me talking through. Um, and I, you know, all the stuff that we can't talk about in basic promotional interviews, because I do want people to, to discover the things as they go. If, if I tell you what, for instance, the second twist especially is, um, it gives away like the major kind of revelation of the book, but it's a major part of understanding the book. So mm -hmm. I've, I've thought about maybe doing an interview where I talk about all the little illusions and symbols and things and just saying, 
if you've read it or if you don't plan to read it and you know <laughs> but yeah. you're just curious about you know you, you can watch this so um, but you're right yeah the book is about um initially about about uh, four teenage boys who live on an island off the coast of uh, washington state in the uh, pacific northwest called echo island and they just graduated high school and to celebrate their high school graduation they go to the mainland to uh, go camping they go on a camping trip and when they're done camping they um, get back on the ferry to go back to their um, to their town they go back to the island and they discover that everyone is gone everyone has vanished and nothing electronic works uh, electricity batteries nothing um, electronic works and also the place has just kind of a um, an eerie st uh, st uh, stillness. They don't hear birds chirping. They don't hear squirrels and uh, you know on the leaves or anything like that. So um, something significant has happened uh, in the town, and so the the book begins really with them kind of exploring that mystery, and then there's just kind of a new revelation. Each each chapter kind of builds on that on that mystery. Nice. So, so what was it in our, our most standard kind of interview question that hopefully is the most standard interview question you're going to get today? Uh, why did you want to write this specific story and this kind of story? Yeah, well, the premise um, was really inspired by similar stories that have always kind of captured my imagination. I've always loved um, you know, different variations, uh, you know, of that, the, where did everybody go thing? Um, you know, there was a, I forget the name of the, the episode, but there's a twilight zone episode with Burgess Meredith, just a classic episode w with that classic question, where did everybody go? Um, the town, you know, the city he's, he, you know, he's in a big city. It, it might even be New York, um, where everyone has disappeared and he's just kind of exploring the place. So I love the, the notion of ghost towns, and you know deserted buildings in you know vacant um you know lots and and um and even you know kind of like last man on earth kind of zombie stories you know dawn of the dead and some of that you know those things so all of that really just kind of you know um you know congealed together to the, the premise of uh, a town you know a town disappearing and there's some you know we have some you know historical precedent in, in the United States, even, or, or at least in the, um, you know, pre-United States, the, the Roanoke colony is kind of a classic urban legend or, or rural legend, I guess, of a, of a whole town that disappeared and where did everybody go kind of thing. The, the thing that complicates it today is the, you know, the kind of 20th century, you know, late 20th century uh, variation of the rapture stories. So I knew as soon as I started talking about people disappearing um, in a story for the Christian market, the first place that someone's mind would go is, oh, it's another rapture thing. So I even like in the promos had to say like, it's not the rapture. <laughs> <laughs> and I even have the characters, uh, you know, talk about that briefly. I want them to even nod because they're in a, in a world where they're aware of, you know, some things in the Christian subculture. Um, that I don't know if they mentioned left behind specifically. I don't remember that, but, um, but they talk about, did everybody, you know, get raptured up and they start kind of working through, um, yeah. the implications of that, you know, who's left behind, who wasn't, and they quickly determine it, it wasn't that. And I just want to say to the reader, it's not that this isn't yes. a rapture story. <laughs> that was honestly one of my, uh, one of my favorite parts of the early portion of the book was just them being <laughs> like, was this the rapture? It's not the rapture. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, they decide that one of the boys is like too Christian. There's no way that he'd get left behind. If the... <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, but that all you know, even your eschatology dictates that because I'm not a you know I'm not a dispensational guy. I'm not a pre-trib rapture guy anyway. So in my view, the Christian would be left behind. <laughs> you know, would be left behind. But for most you know um, you know consumers of the rapture kind of movies and books, um, the typical thing is the Christians are kind of sucked up and the and and the unbelievers are left behind, and that's not what's happening in in the book. Yeah, no. I. Uh... Jared, you wouldn't know this, but before I had left uh, B&H, I, I was in the acquisition meeting for this. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I remember, I take no credit because everyone loved the idea. Um, it was, uh, you know, I, but what I liked about it, this is me not trying to reveal anything. It just, nothing was obvious. Uh, I liked the direction of the story. Um, I thought, wow, why is Jared, and this kind of leads to another question, like, why is Jared writing this? Like this, we, we kind of know Jared for writing a totally different type of theology book. Right. Yeah. But here we are, you decide to write fiction. Like what's, what is your turn? Even though Aaron kindly pointed out that you have written one fiction book before just ebook only. Right. So this yeah. is kind of like your first one here, but I liked it because you're also hitting a younger audience that older people can read too. It was a, it was a really good, comfortable mix. So I enjoyed it by the way. So there you go. Yeah, the you know this was actually um, at least the first few chapters were the beginning of the of uh, my third ever book. So I began mm. actually as a, as a novelist, and um, you know got an you know my first agent was as a novelist and was trying to publish fiction. That's what I wanted to do was be a storyteller, and so I wrote um, you know my very first book. I started writing it the the summer we moved to Nashville from Houston, so it would have been 1997. Started writing this story called Other World and didn't get published it, it it later did that's the book that came out as kind of a it was an e e first thing you could get it print on demand but it just wasn't you know you couldn't find it in a bookstore or anything like that yeah um but in, you know initially originally wrote that didn't get published i wrote a second novel which i still have laying around um and i think is one of the best things you know that i've written but i hadn't been published yet and that one's more of an it's more of a literary thriller kind of thing uh, and my agent said, it's too long for a first time author. You don't have a platform. Um, you know, it's just too big a book. I'll get laughed out of the you know publishing houses if I try to show this to people. So I'm like, all right. So I started writing the third book, which is Echo Island. And about halfway through, we began planting a church. And I just didn't have the time to invest in storytelling. And I remember my agent kind of coming along you know, probably six months into that endeavor and asking how the manuscript was coming. And I said, I just have not had time uh, to finish it up. Uh, but I've got these sermons that I, <laughs> that I could turn into a book, you know, proposal, you know, book manuscript. And he was yeah. like, you know, you're, this is what he said to me. He goes, you're really a fiction guy. And um, to be, you know, to publish nonfiction, you have to have some kind of platform. You got to be known. Um, you know, I, I, you know, wasn't pastoring a mega church or anything like that. And I didn't, you know, social media was in its earliest stages then. So I, mm. I mean, I, you know, I was unknown, you know, to the wide world. And I just said, this is all I got right now. And so we got a book deal with that nonfiction book. And I just started writing nonfiction because that's what people began to expect. And mm -hmm. eventually I wanted to come back to this novel and I asked my agent about it and uh, who's no longer my agent, by the way. And he said, you know, you're really a nonfiction guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, one of these days I'd love to be both. Uh, I'd love to be that versatile. So I've always wanted to come yeah. back to it. Yeah. And it's just sat there for 15 years. I mean, I, it, 
honestly was about 2005, 2006 that I wrote the first half of this book. And I, it's, I've never been able to shake it. I, the story has been developing in my brain over and over and over again, charting out how the different pieces fit together, how to get to the end. Um, you know, even characters kind of, you know, cropping up later in later years for me that I didn't have in mind early on. In a way, it was a, it was a blessing because I feel like, you know, certainly 15 years later, I'm a better writer than I was then. But also it's had that long to develop as a story. Um, I think it, I, I tell it much better today than I would have back then. The, the trick was making it, you know, a cohesive, kind of coming back to the original writing um, and fleshing it out. And, and I wouldn't have done it if B&H hadn't reached out to me. Like they, it was just sitting there. And B&H reached out to ask about, uh, tween, about tween fiction if mm -hmm. I could do something for, because they knew I liked fiction and can, and, you know, was interested in writing it. And I just said, no, I, I don't necessarily think I know that market well, and I don't necessarily feel a call to do that, but I've got this half written novel that I didn't envision as a young adult novel, but it's about four teenage boys. It could very easily be a young adult novel. And Dave, you may remember like they, you know, they said, um, we're not really doing young adult fiction. <laughs> Yeah, but we'll take a look. It was almost like we'll do you, you know, okay, we'll take a look, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, and I said, all right. And so this half-written novel, like no ending, I sent this half-written thing in from 15 years ago, and apparently it it caught somebody, and they wanted to know how it ended. And the next yeah. thing I knew, uh, I'm the first young adult guy that that they published, at least in a in a long while. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wonder, you know, so much in publishing is about trends too. And I, I know they're trying to anticipate, hey, where, where where are we going things? And there's no doubt the whole YA world and middle reader fiction is captive. It, it's, it's, it captures the imagination of someone who is that age, but also adults. I mean, yeah. I think, uh, I mean, even what Andrew Peterson is doing with yeah. Wingfeather Saga, even though he's been doing that for years, but it, it shows and of course, Lewis, Tolkien all understood that as well. I mean, they weren't thinking <laughs> age groups the way we necessarily are today. But right, yeah. I mean, we think of Lewis, um, and I'll probably botch the quote, but he said, "Like a book worth reading only in childhood is not worth reading even then." And, and he was writing for children, so in his mind, if this book mm -hmm. doesn't transcend, or at least mm -hmm. stick with, right? It's a book you read in childhood, but man, you want to read it every five years. You want to revisit yes. that world. Yeah, um, that's a different. A different level and you know i don't know if i'm there but that's where i want to be that's the kind of you know book that i would love to uh, uh to write yeah yeah so jared what, jared what would you tell i uh, um someone who follows you in terms of just theology writing who is trying to soak up what they need to be a better preacher to uh, be a better student of the bible what would you tell them that would convince them they need to put that aside for a moment <laughs> and and read a fiction book, especially something like this? There's a few, uh, you know, a few avenues to take there. One is just um, for preachers um, or even other kinds of writers, but, you know, in particular for preachers, there is it, for good sermons and good preaching, uh, an arc. There's a narrative arc, something I talk to my residents about and, and my students at the seminary about is how they construct their sermon points and kind of charting out, um, you know, exegeting the text and then translating the, ex, you know, exegetical outline to a preaching outline, to a homiletical outline. There is a, there's an arc. You're looking for a, you know, building action, climax, and then resting action. And 
you know, good preachers know like to build their points that way. And then even how much time to spend on each point to make sure you're kind of building that, that arc and climaxing at the right moment. Um, storytelling, good storytelling helps you with that. It develops that sensibility um, because that's just the classic storytelling, you know, um, for lack of a better word, you know, formula. The pattern is rising action, the climactic moment, the, you know, the, the fancy word is denouement, right? The, you know, the falling action coming after that. Um, good stories have that, that kind of rising action tension uh, sort of thing. So I think just in terms of composition, um, there, there are formative aspects of, of good uh, fiction, good novels and good stories that do that. I also think um, good fiction puts us, and, and, and some good you know, nonfiction does as well, in particular good historical nonfiction, but it helps us empathize with others and kind of see various perspectives to kind of see the interior life of other people which is good for preaching and good application and theological writing as you think about your audience and anticipate questions, doubts, fears, you know, the, the, you know, the word that we would use is contextualization and application. So those sorts of things, fiction kind of develops your, your sensitivities and sensibilities for those things as well. Um, and then I just think from a rhetorical level, right? Good writing, uh, you know, fiction writers tend to be more creative than nonfiction writers. Not always, but but typically so. They're more free and able to write in in more beautiful ways. The expectation, at least, is that they write in more beautiful ways. I think that's changing among theology uh, writers today. I think we are seeing, um, and and thankfully so, we're seeing better writing. Uh, the theology has been, um, you know, th you know, sound theology is everything, mm -hmm. but. To, to adorn that with good quality writing, I think we're beginning to see a good resurgence of, of mm -hmm. eloquence and, and artful writing. But reading fiction where that's more expected, um, that just makes people better, better writers generally and better preachers is, um, you know, being able to put words together in such a way um, that you adorn the gospel with, with beauty. I think that's all part of the art uh, uh, of magnifying Christ. Nice. I am... Definitely uh, in agreement with you on the this need to um, need to write well, and yeah. and that's something that that I mean, you know, I you you know, I came to faith in two thousand and five, and so no one was writing well in two thousand and five who had sound theology at least. Yeah, yeah, the artful stuff tended to be more of that. Uh... You know, the, the emergent kind of folks really favored the the aesthetic. Yeah. And but, you know, I think it was there. It just was hard. It wasn't rising to the top. You know, it, it yeah. wasn't the stuff that was selling and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I mean, certainly something that I, I've I've seen and I mean, you know, editing blog posts and stuff like that too, learning how to write myself um, really has been like you were saying, fiction. Fiction actually just makes you a better writer. And so yeah. if you are like, so learning how to tell a good story lets you do everything else really well too. Um, so thanks for kind of leading the way on that. Yeah. But it, just, um, it works different muscles. I mean, there's mm -hmm. so many different reasons. Um, you know, it's, it's not, you know, good fiction isn't necessarily not work, but it, it's rest in a way that, you know, for a preacher or, you know, teacher, um, it's, it, it can be a good escape. It can be a sabbatical from always kind of 
exercising just one you know part of your brain or or, or one kind of intellectual muscle mm-hmm. um it's good to have that kind of you know escape there and that kind of rest yeah all right so here's a question for you let's say that um there's someone who's kind of jaded and cynical um in his re about books and christian books in particular uh let's let's pull a name out of our hat let's let's call him barnabas um <laughs> okay <laughs> just for fun yeah, um yeah. call this know. fictional person barnabas. which is weird because Bar- <laughs> barnabas is an encourager so mm, why would he go. be the cynical well you know <laughs> stranger things have happened doesn't but, always uh, match up the personality the same way <laughs> all right okay <laughs> um what would you say to our fictional our fictional friend um about why it would be a good idea, why the, why they should not skip a book like Echo Island. Uh, okay. Well, first of all, I would want to identify with their cynicism because it's coming from a place of um, of, of reality, right? I mean, I you know I've complained about both Christian fiction. Well, I mean, any really art that the, the Christian marketplace produces, or the or or that is produced for the market, you know, your Christian marketplace. I think that's changing though. Um, I, you know, I think part of the uh, um, the upside of the the tribalization and kind of balkanization of evangelicalism, which has way more downsides, you know, clearly. Uh, part of the upside is that um, we're seeing kind of rival aesthetics and and rival kind of artistic camps, and so there's 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 never been a better time. Well, there has been a better time, but in a long time there hasn't. You know, there hasn't been for a long time. Um, good avenues to find good art. And I think on the like 15 years into this kind of new reformation or whatever you want to call it, the, you know, gospel centered resurgence thing coming to the tail end of that. One of the implications is that we're recovering, I think a better sensibility about aesthetics and early on, it was about, we got to get the theology, right. We got to recover gospel centrality reform, you know, whatever it is. Um, And I think now we're kind of settling into that a little bit. And part of that is a, a recovery of, of aesthetics. So I think what I would say um, is consider who is writing it, right? So if you're just looking at the same books from the same authors for the last you know 30 years, they they certainly are a mixed bag. And if, if they have a track record of stuff that you've been avoiding, it's not likely they're writing something that you know you wouldn't want to avoid today. But if there's newer voices and they are known otherwise this is me promoting myself right? <laughs> so i I've, I've tried to write my nonfiction, which i have a you know much longer track record of i've tried to write my nonfiction with a literary sensibility and i think people who read more than you know one of my books or at least are familiar with at least my approach to writing know that i'm not trying to just crank out toaster manuals you know that i am trying to write in an artful way i do have a creative sensibility Mm-hmm. And so if, if I put out a work of fiction, I would hope that somebody would say, well, from what I else I know about him, this might be worth a shot. This might be worth a shot. And for those who aren't familiar at all with my writing at all, and, 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 and fiction certainly opens up you know, new doors, as I'm already seeing from some of the reviews, um, there are people who have no exposure at all to what I've written before and having a young adult novel just that genre there's people who are voracious readers of that genre itself and so it's opened up a new kind of door to potentially a new audience um for those folks i just hope the premise of the story would draw them in if they're thinking man christian fiction is always the same stuff it's almost people falling in love and 
whatever else, if they read the premise, and I promise them it's not about the rapture, <laughs> maybe, maybe they'll say, well, maybe this is different. Yeah. Right? Maybe this is different. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed, and this will end up in, event, in an eventual Amazon review for you, because okay. I want to help you get your, get your numbers up there. Yeah. But um, one of the things that I really liked, and I don't think this gets the, this create is a big spoiler, but it doesn't read like, like it just reads like a good story, which I think, yeah. so I think you accomplished your goal of just trying to write something that is good. Um, and, and, and so that's a weird compliment. I realize that it's like, oh, this is a good book. And it's like, no, no, no. What I mean by that is. <laughs> well, I've got, I've got two things maybe going for me. And this probably would not commend me to the publisher <laughs> beforehand when I was trying to say I want to write a young adult novel for the Christian market. But it may commend me to particular readership, which is I don't read young adult novels. Mm -hmm. um, I had to consult with my daughters about certain things. I was like, can people die in young adult but and they're like dad have you read hunger games and i was like okay well this is a christian you know so can people die in christian young adult novels? they don't like just that? die they only die if they're very evil. okay well that <laughs> was the thing so i didn't ways. know so i didn't approach yeah. it like trying to replicate anything that i'd ever yeah. seen i really was like you said just trying to write a good story yeah but you know yeah. I, I did want to write for the market i did want to write what the publisher expected for that field but i didn't come with a wealth of experience with young adult yeah. stuff i also I, I very, um, it's been a million years since I read a quote unquote Christian novel or a novel mm -hmm. for the Christian market. Um, you know, I read the old guys and all the new stuff I read tends to be literary fiction, some genre fiction, but more literary, um, type stuff. So that's the sensibility I brought yeah. to it. And I, I didn't have any cookie cutter in, in mind. So, I, you know, hopefully that would even commend it to some who might be, you know, skeptical which is to say, I didn't sit down thinking, how do I write a young adult Christian novel? I said, how do I write a good story that I can't shake for the young adult yeah. you know, Christian reader? Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, I read it just uh, from a basic perspective of, I like a mystery and I, mm -hmm. I was intrigued and you didn't waste time getting to acknowledge that there's a mystery here. And uh, I was reading it over a few nights and my daughter was, my oldest daughter was asking me because she's like, what is this book? And uh, what's it about? I'm like, well, I don't want to spoil it for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't risk doing it here. But like every night I'm like, all right, are you going to read this or not? I said, if you're not, I said, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to reveal a few things to you. But, but she, uh, but it, it, yeah, I just said, yeah, you kind of every few chapters, you kind of learn something new and that kind of, mm -hmm. you know, builds as you're saying the story to, uh, a grander reveal. So yeah. I'll leave it at there's that. A, I, yeah. I can't say anymore. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, there's a couple of things I try to do in it, which is I've heard people say, Oh, I saw the, that, you know, the first tweet, I saw that coming a mile away. And I'm thinking, well, you were supposed to like, yeah, th that was, you know, yeah. it's not completely blatant, but it's, it's, it is telegraphed. And, and the reason, you know, astute readers will pick that up and I expect them to. I'm not at all bothered by people picking that up. What I don't anticipate is anyone seeing the second twist coming. And the first twist is kind of there to kind of suck you in. And I'm saying this now, people are thinking, oh, there's a second one coming. I'm going to figure it out. You're not going to figure it out. <laughs> uh, if you figure it out ahead of time, uh, you, you let me know. But I did try to put some things in there that if you reread it, there are some little just tiny notes before you get to that second twist that that indicate 
that that's the thing. So almost like a Shyamalan mm-hmm. kind of, yes. you look back and go, ah, oh, that was there and I didn't see it. And that was there. Just like things in descriptions. And so there's like little clues. I just love, mm-hmm. I mean, everything from, you know, the vanishing stuff to, you know, Bigfoot and the, mm-hmm. the, the Voynich manuscript and all kinds of like cr- conspiracy theory, crypto puzzle. And I just wanted to bring that sensibility to the book where it just would re- reward not just successive chapters kind of unveiling this thing mm-hmm. but that it would mm-hmm. go deeper and turn in on itself mm-hmm. and then when you got to the end you might could even go back and go oh man he was actually showing this here and there and now i see it looking back um but i didn't necessarily see it at you know at the moment and mm-hmm. you know i'm not saying i pulled all that off but that was kind yeah. of what <laughs> yeah that's what i brought yeah. to it that's the yeah. idea that i brought to it well yeah. i mean yeah. it's like close-up magic right um it's sure. all about misdirection <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. It there is. You go. It is. Yes. Aaron? Yes. Billy. It's not yes. just. It's exactly like that. Dave. I don't just yes. accept it for how it is. What? <laughs> I was having so much fun. I thought there really is an island where all these things happen. That's all I'm going to leave it. <laughs> all right. Good. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. Well, I am excited for people to read this yeah. book and, um, it is it is definitely one that um that when my daughter saw it she was like oh this is it looks interesting mm-hmm. and yeah. um so i got to read it first and so i get to confirm with her yes this is one you want to read awesome. so um we we bond over our books which is which is really good <laughs> that's great so um so i'm i'll i'll let you know what she thinks when she yeah, when she do. reads it so cool uh so we have one typical question um, as we as we get close to the end of an episode, um, okay. Dave has reminded me that he has a meeting. Uh, I don't after this, so we can always stay on a little bit longer. But sure. uh, <laughs> um, but uh, that that big question is is what are you reading these days? Yeah, uh, I knew this was coming, and I'm really disappointed because I'm uh, coming off of my final doctoral seminar and. All, all year, I felt like most of my reading has been sucked up with stuff they've told me to read, which has included some good books, I'll, I'll yeah. be honest. But it's not the same, right, as having the freedom to read whatever you want to read. Yeah. And so between that, and I've done some some rereadings. So so just to answer the question, like right now, I'm finishing up rereads of, uh, of Paralandra, mm-hmm. um, which I've read probably three times before, but it's been a few years. Um, I'm teaching that. We're doing a discussion in my writing mm-hmm. class. Um, on that book next week and so i'm trying to finish up a reread just so it's fresh again Mm -hmm. to talk about and a reread of robert smith's book doctrine that dances which is a book on preaching um that's for my residency we're working through that book right now as well and i read that once before and it was a while Mm -hmm. back so um so those are kind of refreshes but i'm looking forward to the holidays because i've got a stack of books that are like this is what i want to read and um yeah it includes everything from like um Esau Macaulay's new book, Reading the Bible While Black. Um, mm. I've got that waiting, you know, to get picked up. Uh, Truman Capote's In Cold Blood, which I've <laughs> never read, never read but but I've wanted to for a long time. Got that in there uh, and a few others besides. I've also, like, I don't know, I'm ambitious. If I can get through it over Christmas, James Joyce's uh, Ulysses yeah. is, is in the stack as well. So yeah. That is ambitious. Yeah. I, I've read was... some other Joyce, but I've never read Ulysses, and, and so yeah. I'm interested. Yeah, I pulled that uh, out 
couple days ago when I was rearranging the bookshelf. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot I had this. And I, mm -hmm. But, you know, I've never read it, though. So okay. I, I just it's I a have good a book copy to own because it. it's no. real big and, and <laughs> sophisticated, right? It's, it's, it's yeah. a fancy literature book. So it's a, yeah. it's a good home security system, too. Yeah. <laughs> it probably in college, it, you could carry it around to impress girls, kind of like Infinite Jest in the, you know. Yes. In, in yeah. the 90s, you would carry around Joyce. In the 2000s, you carry around David Foster Wallace, probably. Yes. I love it. That's awesome. Yep. Totally. <laughs> Bookshelves and impressing people. That's a whole nother episode right there. <laughs> That's right. That's good. <laughs> yeah, okay. man. I yeah, we'll have to we'll have to talk about that again sometime soon because you know, I have many, many poor decisions in in those attempts from my youth. <laughs> I gotta tell you, so I, I almost put this in the, in my latest book manuscript because because I just finished a book on love and it's basically I kind of tell my own kind of lovelorn heart, you know, heartbreak stories from child from childhood, all the, like all the crushes and everything. I had to change a lot of names uh, to protect the uh, to protect the innocent. But I remember this is no joke. This was probably ninth grade. There was this girl that I really had a crush on, and I had this book that was in my dad's bookshelf, and it was called um, the uh, Dealing with Mediocrity or something like that, I mean, this, or the Meaning of Media, something like that. And I carried this book around. I never read it, but I would I would read it or like I would look like I was reading it at lunchtime thinking this girl will see. This is how pathetic I am, guys. Like <laughs> This is really confessional. This girl would see that and feel sorry for me because um, I'm a literary theological guy. But also I struggle with a feeling of mediocrity. And mm -hmm. she and she would like want to take care of me. That that's how pathetic. <laughs> so I've done the like try to impress a girl, but in a really lame, you know, wussy kind of way <laughs> with a mediocrity book. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking. I was just, I was a weird kid, man. Oh, I love it. I love it. We're, true well, we're, we're true confession. We're here to reassure you, Jared. So I it's appreciate gonna be okay. it. That's yeah, right. Yeah. This is so really funny. an affirmation podcast. That's all it is. <laughs> I know. I know. Gosh. Well, I text, uh, mine was, uh, yeah, I texted Aaron and Scarlett today. It was uh, Matthew McConaughey reading his book, Green Lights, his new book. Oh. It is, yeah. I just said, he is a caricature of himself. I mean, he'll be like telling us, right, right. no, he'll be like, yeah, I'll be telling the story. All right. And he does that like pause, get, he gets excited. And then, you know, yeah, that's right. And then this happened. And then it was a green light. You know, that's like, that's like his thing. Like whenever something good happened, green light, that's all it is. So he okay. says it like at least every chapter, like 10 or 12 times. So it's really uh -oh. fun. Anytime anything good happens. Is it like a self-help book kind of? It's just a memoir. I mean, he's oh, just going oh. through his life. Yeah, it's a memoir. Yeah, but he's just talking about the things when he felt like there's a stoplight versus a green light. That's great. Love it. <laughs> I don't. I don't I know. Like, I would listen to it. Yeah. I feel like I need to listen to that, but I'm it's, kind of afraid to. Uh, yeah, you know, the first like ten minutes, I thought this has got to be a joke. I, I really thought like <laughs> he's joking about this. No, he's just being himself, playing himself, and it works. And it's funny. And uh, he's got some crazy stories, and that's why we like that genre. <laughs> you know, as long as it's someone you like, you know. Right. But yeah, so well, I recommend. But it's, so, it's, you know. so who's crazier though, him or um, Nicolas Cage, or Val um, Kilmer? <laughs> oh, for Nick, sure, Cage. 
Yeah, Cage, Kilmer, and Matthew McConaughey. Okay, all right. So that's... He's not that he's crazy. He just, it's like the whole like story, you know, you saw it was like 10 years ago, he gets busted for uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, playing the bongo naked, right? And, uh, you, you know, he's- there's Which one, is such an Austin thing anyway. Is it, no, 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 that's yeah. just normal behavior in Austin. That's how I looked at him. Like, oh yeah, that, yeah so I, his, I just assume everyone I mean, his craziness, there. if you can call it that, is with a wink. Like he, he knows- Yes. It's 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 his deal. Like with with Cage and and Kilmer, there's no irony <laughs> like to it. This is yes. just them being like, "This is who I am." Yeah, yes. yeah, got it. Yes. There yeah. you go. Nice, nice. Well, this is this is good. Um, what about you, Aaron? You gotta give me yours real quick before we man. go. You know, I just finished. Um, I I went back into the into the early mid '90s. Uh, for a comic book last night and it was great and so I'm reading the Death of Superman series uh, so um, and then I am actually going to steal back my uh, my collected edition that ha- of Jane Austen four novels from Abigail so that I can read that so I love it I so, love it nothing like a hard pivot superheroes Jane Austen <laughs> totally it goes goes just fine together there that's you. right that's right so man jared thanks for hanging yeah. out with us today this is this has been a yeah. lot of fun yeah yeah and, thanks for having me yeah we, anytime we're all excited to read this and it's uh really well done on it i know yeah. it's uh uh it's different to pivot back but you there you go you're a storyteller that's what we've uh we've fully learned now at this point you can put another stamp on it here awesome well thank that's you right. brothers that's very yeah. kind so uh so listeners um do grab a copy of this book click the link in the show notes um that'll be it and then leave a good leave a good review once you have read it and of course give uh you know the deal with us five stars rating and review all around we'll talk to you later this is an area code podcast